He cannot see that he is such a sinner in need of the saving grace of Christ. He cannot see that the wages of his sin are death, whereas the wages of the Israelite sin was death, and they saw it. They witnessed it. It was right there. He's having trouble making that connection. Let's now turn to Numbers chapter 21. If you've still got your finger there, you flip over there, Numbers chapter 21. So in Numbers chapter 21, as we pick up here, this is the illustration that Jesus pointed to, to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, I'm going to make a correlation to you. I'm going to make a one-to-one correlation. Just like Moses lifted up the serpent, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So now as we turn to Numbers 21, Numbers 21 What we find that's going on in Numbers chapter 21 is this recurring theme that happens over and over and over throughout the book of Numbers. And it's really easy to understand. It goes like this. God's people grumble. God's not happy. And Moses prays for them and God remains patient. That's that's sort of the theme that's been going on throughout the whole book. And so Numbers chapter 21 is sort of the climax of that. That's sort of the, the big ultimate complaint in which God finally says, enough of this grumbling and complaining. I'm going to do something about this. So with that being said, from verse 4, we're just going to look at a few verses here, beginning from verse 4. Verse 4, from Mount Hor, they set out by way to the Red Sea. So they're going back. Remember, they came from the Red Sea. They're going back. They've been wandering. They're going all over. They're going back to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom because Edom wouldn't let them pass through. And the people became impatient on the way Verse 5, and the people spoke against God. Now, don't just glance over that. The people spoke against God. The people put voice to their accusations. The people gave witness to the unreliability of God, the untrustableness of God, the ungoodness of God. The people slandered God with their words. The people spoke blasphemy against the God who had delivered them from slavery. They voiced these harsh accusations. And so the thing to begin seeing is just the severity, the severity of what just happened. God's people, whom he has redeemed out of slavery, have spoken harsh words against him. They didn't just think harsh thoughts. They spoke harsh words against him. And they spoke against God and against Moses, saying, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Now, which is it? Is there no food or is the food worthless? Which one is it? 
You see how not only did they slander God, they gave false testimony against God. They said there is no food, and there is food. In essence, their grumbling and their complaining has made their, has, has painted their situation as worse than it really is. Kind of like Naomi. Remember Naomi? She and Ruth return from the land of Moab and they return back to Bethlehem. And here's Naomi. And she tells everyone in Bethlehem, the Lord has just forsaken me. He has all these bad things that have happened to me and I'm all alone. Nobody is here with me. And the whole time Ruth, who has left her people, is standing right there. I always wondered, what does Ruth think about what Naomi's saying? Um, no, nobody, nobody, I've got nobody. You see how she made her situation much worse? That's really what grumbling is. All grumbling is complaining against God, is it? If God is the giver of all things, if He's sovereign over His world, if all things come from His hand, then grumbling is against Him. And grumbling really is taking the reality of this life and painting it in a worse picture. If you're honest and you reflect upon the times that you grumble, you would have to say to yourself, well, yeah, I, I, do, I do that as well. That's, that's what's happening when I'm grumbling. And this is what's happening here with the people. They're saying, we've got no food, when they really do have food. And then they're complaining about the food that they have. And keep in mind what this food is that they're complaining about. It's the same food that Jesus called the bread of heaven. It's the same food that the psalmist called the bread of heaven. You know, I think we all can have those times where we just long to see God manifest himself in our life in some visible, tangible way. Well, these Israelites saw that every day, six days a week. Every day, except the Sabbath. They saw this visible manifestation of God's care for them. And they had come to loathe it and grumble about it. This is indeed a severe and a heinous sin. So Jesus' point is, there are parallels. There are corresponding parallels. So just as Moses lifted up the serpent, so must the Son of Man also be lifted up. So Nicodemus is having trouble seeing what Jesus wants him to see. And Jesus is explaining to him spiritual realities. And to help Nicodemus see this, he takes Nicodemus to corresponding physical realities. The physical reality of the wilderness situation and the grumbling and the complaining is what Nicodemus knew of because he knew his scriptures. And the spiritual reality is the connection Jesus wants him to make. Verse 6, Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. So they realize their sinful condition. They realize what they have just done is a heinous sin before God. And so they say, pray to the Lord that he would take away the, away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And then the Lord answers. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. So the people sin, 
The result of their sin is a physical consequence, and the physical wrath of God is that these fiery serpents come to the people and bite them. And so a spiritual sin results in a physical consequence, the physical wrath, which which brings about a physical situation, this physical situation of sickness and people are dying. And then God prescribes a physical remedy. The physical remedy is make the serpent put on a pole, the people will look and they'll be healed. So you see the, the progression there. There's a problem, here's a physical problem, physical solution, physical answer. And Jesus is giving all this to, to make a correlation to Nicodemus's spiritual problem, spiritual remedy, spiritual answer. You see? So the first thing for us to see here is the deadliness of the two situations. If you see the deadliness of the two situations, the situation with the Israelites was easy to see the deadliness of that situation. It was easy to see because these snakes would come and they would bite the people and the people would get sick and they had people dying. So it's easy to look and to see that and say, and for the people to say, we have sinned against the Lord and He sent these serpents upon us so that the consequences of our sin are something that we can see and touch and feel and see this person over here has died and this person over here is near death and this person over here is getting sick. So we see the physical consequences of our sin And for that, God then sends a physical remedy, which is the serpent, which brings about a physical healing. But they saw their sin because it was easy to see. Nicodemus' problem is that he doesn't see that yet. Nicodemus doesn't see himself as those Israelites who had grumbled and complained against God. Nicodemus, I think, has a view of himself, much like Paul had of himself prior to that Damascus Road experience. Remember Paul? Prior to that, Paul thought he was serving the name of the Lord with great vigor and with great honor. Until the risen Christ came upon him on that road to Damascus, and it was at that point that his eyes were opened, the scales were, were, were removed from his eyes, and he could then see, I haven't been serving the Lord at all. And I think that's where Nicodemus is right now. He does not see that his situation correlates with the Israelite situation because the Israelites had this physical demonstration of their sin. Nicodemus doesn't see that. He doesn't realize that. He cannot see that he is such a sinner in need of the saving grace of Christ. He cannot see that the wages of his sin are death. Whereas the wages of the Israelites' sin was death, and they saw it. They witnessed it. It was right there. He's having trouble making that connection. And you know, brothers and sisters, do you know that we, we are right? We are right to talk about how salvation is the grace of God that comes to us by faith and faith alone. We are right to say that. But that doesn't mean that every aspect of our salvation can be received by faith. You know, there's a certain aspect of your salvation that cannot be received by faith. It must be received by sight. You cannot believe by faith 
that you are a sinner. You must know that by sight. You cannot read your Bible like we read our Bible and we believe when the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You cannot read that and say, I believe the Bible and the Bible tells me I'm a sinner and so therefore I believe I'm a sinner. You have to know it. You have to see it. You can't take by faith that the Bible says you're a sinner. And I know what that's like. I know what it's like to to read the scriptures and the scriptures tell me of my fallen condition. And I agree to that. But then you can have that heart that says, well, yes, I believe I'm a sinner. The Bible tells me I'm a sinner. But I don't really feel that bad. Certainly don't feel as bad as a lot of the people I see around me. Salvation cannot come to the one who believes themselves to be a sinner only by faith. You must know you're a sinner because you've experienced it and you've seen it and the Spirit has opened your eyes to your own true condition. Nicodemus is right there right now. If Nicodemus were here and and we were listening to this conversation that Jesus is having with him and we said, Nicodemus, do you believe that you've sinned before God? I think he would have said yes, meaning that he believes the scriptures taught him that all people have fallen. But I'm not sure that Nicodemus saw it yet. The Israelites in the wilderness had no trouble seeing it because the snakes were biting them because of it. And so Nicodemus needs to see the spiritual reality, which is why Jesus takes him to that reality to say, just like the wilderness So it is right now. So the pole, the serpent on the pole, the cross, neither of those things were intended to be an inoculation against the possible sin. Neither of those things were intended to be the safeguard against sin. The pole and the serpent on the pole were not intended for those who might get bitten by a snake in the future. God doesn't say, put this serpent on a pole, and that way if anybody does get bit, then they'll be okay. Instead, the pole is the remedy for those who have been bitten. Just like the cross is the remedy for those who have not only sinned, but seen their sin and known it. This is why Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. So that's the first correlation to see. The second is easy to see as well. And it's simply this. The pole wasn't Moses' idea. The pole was God's idea. The serpent was God's idea. It was God who said to Moses, do this. This must happen. Again from John verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... So must, that word must there, you can just see in that word, or you should see in that word, the sovereign plan of God. So must the Son of Man be lifted up. That result, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For, now there's the purpose. Like we said a couple nights ago, that word for, what that means is what's coming after that 
is the result of what came before it. What comes after that is the purpose of what came before it. What comes after that is what explains what came before it. So for the sovereign plan of God, God loved the world in this way. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him, literally all of the believing ones, if we were to translate that literally, all of the believing ones shed not perish, but have eternal life. So this connection, this connection that he wants Nicodemus to make, the pole in the wilderness is God's work. It's God's plan. It's God's idea. It's God's remedy. Just as the cross is God's work, it's God's plan. It's God's remedy. The gospel is not God's call to people to come to him and do something to achieve this salvation. The gospel is not God's call to people to come to me. And once you come to me, then we can do this or we can do this and we can complete your salvation. The gospel is God's announcement of what he has done. And what he has done is to secure the remedy for what we have done. And the gospel is God's call for people to see that and believe that and recognize that, that it is his plan and he has done it. It's the announcement of his work.